0: Well, I think we should all be so lucky to end up in your room at the end of our lives. I would love to have you there. (laughs) Um, And I would
1: love to put an IV in you and a Foley catheter in your bladder.
0: Hello and welcome to How They Did It with me, Darby Worley. That voice you just heard joking about putting a catheter into my bladder is one Kevin Moore, actor turned nurse, who has um, an exceptional life story. Let's listen. Joining me now on the phone is Kevin Moore, who is, what kind of nurse are you, Kevin?
1: Um, Well, right now I work in PACU, which is, uh, most people know that as the recovery room. So um, post-anesthesia care unit.
0: Oh, okay. So you probably see lots of people um, saying wacky things when they wake up and like crying. Does that (laughs) that happen a
1: lot? All of the above. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I see it from A to Z. I see people wake up and say, oh, wow, that was great. What a great sleep. And then, you know, 10 minutes later, they're like, this hurts more than anything I've ever felt in my life. (laughs) <laughs> um, and I've seen, uh, what's called, um, emergent delirium, which is when people, uh, you know, freak out because they, uh, they wake up and they don't really understand what they just went through. That's temporary, but you know, that happens too. In trauma, I never really, I actually did work in trauma. That was my first job, um, working in the emergency room and trauma. First, I was in the emergency room side and then, um, I looked at the trauma room and said, God, I never want to work in there. That is way too much stress. And then in about a year later, I was like, oh my God, I want to work in there. <laughs> so, um,
0: what attracted you to it? Why did you say I want to work there?
1: Um, you know, the adrenaline of it, um, which is funny because my anxiety was so through the roof when I first started and, you know, nursing is the second career for me. So Um, you know, I didn't come into it when I was 22 and just out of college, um, you know, I had a total different career. So, um, I came into it when I was, uh, you know, 44. Um, and so, uh, the last thing I, and even emergency care, I was like, are you kidding me? I never want to do that. You know, give me something just really simple. (laughs) Mm. Um, but the truth is, is that's how I landed and it was all by chance, and um which is the way the universe works and um it couldn't have been a a better place for me it was a wonderful environment i miss it very much actually and um but you know the emergency room was very uh high strung but you also got to see a lot of different things and you know um, with my own personal undiagnosed attention deficit disorder, it really worked, and that's what I sort of call myself an ADD nurse mm-hmm. um, because I love all of it, you know. there's uh, And the ER, you got to see everything, you know, from head to toe. Um, trauma attracted me eventually because after I had built up some experience um, in the ER, I really wanted to, you know, you tried to express to people like when you see a bunch of us around you, it's not a good thing, Mm. you know? So when you're sitting there waiting and and understandably, it's really frustrating the waiting game, Um, you know, and and you're there for hours and hours and it's endless. And And then if you get admitted, you can wait even longer for a room, you know, but if there's a lot of us in the room and you, it's not necessarily a good thing. And so, you know, you want to be be happy that you don't see a lot in the room with you because um, that doesn't necessarily, you know, mean we're going to sit down and have, you know, coffee and tea with you We're, you know, there's something seriously wrong and we're trying to make it better. Um, and trauma felt like I had a really, I could have an immediate effect on people. Um, and I worked in an environment where my opinion mattered, you know, as a nurse. And, um, it, you know, I, I, wanted to get in there and I wanted to start the IV and I wanted to hang the blood and I wanted to give the medicines and I wanted to, you know, if the patient was conscious to assure the patient that, uh, you know, we were taking care of them and, um, uh, and that I was, you know, my goal was, was their safety and their, their need, mm-hmm. you know, um, and that they had, they knew they could look at me. And I would advocate for them, um, you know, and that's easy to do for someone who's nice. You know, it's not easy to do for someone who's really nasty or who's done something really horrible. I mean, nursing's great when you have a patient who, you know, appreciates you and knows, uh, you know, the, the, the fair share of nurses work really hard. Um, and, uh, you know, it's really lovely when a patient can see that. And, understands that you're stressed or overworked, um, although you never want to really talk about that to a patient. But they, they, you know, most people get it. But then you have the people who don't and who don't really care about that. And, um, you know, they can be quite mean.
0: Yeah, those people are not only mean, but they're dumb. Because my experience in I, you know, I think you might remember that my sister in law was in a really bad car wreck a few years ago, and we spent a month in the trauma unit with her. And mm-hmm. the nurses mm-hmm. were our lifeline to information, and the nurses were the ones yeah. who would take the time to explain it to us what was happening to her. Um, let's go back a bit. Uh, the first question that I usually ask people is What did you want to be when you grew up? Because I think it wasn't a nurse.
1: You know, honestly, it. it uh i i when i the first real instinct i had in a career like what did i want to be was a nurse um i i was a kid Um, and I would walk my dog around my neighborhood. I grew up in a suburb of Philadelphia in Pennsylvania. And, um, I, there was a group of nurses that lived down the street and this, and they all boarded in the same house. This was years ago. And there was a one male, there was a couple male nurses, but there was one male nurse who would always say hello to me. And, you know, um, and he told me he was a nurse and he worked in the operating room and I would listen to some of his stories and I was so fascinated by it and so intrigued. And, um, and I remember watching, you know, stories on PBS about, you know, like generally it was neurosurgery where they were sawing into people's heads and, mm. um, and I wasn't grossed out, you know, I was like, what's under there, you know, uh, wow, look at that. Um, and, uh, I really was intrigued. Um, and I, at 13, I remember telling my mom, uh, um, and I, I was, I was acting at the time and um, in little small things. And I really loved performing. Uh, but I remember saying to my mom, I think I know what I want to be. And um, when she asked me what, and I told her nursing, now you have to remember this was like 1983, um, and uh, or no, earlier than that, you know, early 80s. Um, and she said to me, you know, absolutely not. You're not going to be a nurse. That's a woman's job. And, uh, you know, you can just forget about that. And I was devastated. (laughs) Like, what? Did she know you were at that time? Oh, I'm sure that's probably given her the first inclination, you know. (laughs) And I listened to her, you know. So obviously it wasn't that much of a drive. Um, You know, I didn't say, I'm going to do it. I don't care what you're saying. Um, And so, you know, um, that's sort of like, kept me in performing and I loved performing. I really, really loved it. I always say, you know, it's really interesting. She was totally dead set against me becoming a nurse, but acting was, you know, the most, uh, heterosexual choice you could make, (laughs) 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 you know, the drive to perform.
0: So many artists have parents who don't support their, Um, their desire to be an artist but both my parents are like Mm -hmm. that and your parents were like did you was your dad around
1: yeah super supportive yeah they were they were so supportive they really were like go 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 like we believe in you and this is what you feel passionate about and you know um, I never brought up the nursing thing again but uh, until you know later on in my later years but uh, my dad, I remember when I, I ended up going to college for, um, theater and towards the end of it, I was like, maybe I should go into law or maybe I should, you know, and I remember talking to my dad who was a business executive in the Teamsters union and, uh, you know, he's high up in the Teamsters union and, and I said, dad, you know, I think I want to go into law. And, and, uh, <clears throat> my dad said, huh, well yeah, well, you know, I know a lot of lawyers and, you know, they work all the time. And the truth is, is like, you know, they don't seem like they're very happy people to me. And mm-hmm. like, like, is that something you feel is a law, something you feel really passionate about? You know, he's like, what do you really, you know, don't you love acting? And I said, yeah, I said, but I'm scared. Like, I'm. what if I don't make any money? What if I, you know, and he's like, listen, I was 45 before I figured out what I really wanted to do. And by that time I had you know, six kids, and I was married for years and years. So he said, stop trying to figure it all out. If you feel really passionate, go for it. And I was like, you know what? He's right. So I did.
0: So how long were you, how long, so, then did, I, so I should say, I should say to the listeners that the reason I know Kevin is that we were um, company mates. Is that the right word for it? Down at the Flea Theater. Yes. Uh huh. 15 yep. years ago. Um, oh my so god always, no yeah. it wasn't
1: that lo- was it that long ago
0: i think it was i think it was jesus
1: that um, so was like 2004 it was, it was oh my it was not god that long
0: after 9-11 because they were still kind of uh-uh. like, they were still having fundraisers to recoup what they lost 9 yep. 11 um yeah so yeah, yeah it was a long time ago <laughs> yeah. and i would say that kevin was the most talented one in our in our group
1: oh my uh, god
0: as, like i like so I'm very curious because we kind of lost touch a little bit. Um, social media yeah. wasn't as big a thing as it is now. And so I, right. when I we found each other again on Facebook. That was kind of right when you were going in to nursing. So can you just talk a little bit about um, how long you were an actor, what that was like? Um, you can tell some stories about your survival jobs that you experienced during that time. And what, what kind of led up to your decision to go back to school at, in your late 30s, early 40s? That's a lot of questions.
1: Yeah. It was in my forties in my forties, no late thirties.
0: I went back in my forties.
1: So, um, I, uh, well, you know, I was an actor for 20 plus years, almost close to 25. Um, I really loved it. It was a really fantastic, um, way to, I mean, I was trying to make a living. I was trying to make money at it, which was always a struggle. Um, and, um, you know, but I really loved it. And really what I loved was the process of creation, you know, rehearsal, building those relationships, um, um, finding out who the character was, um, you know, finding out who the character was by working with someone who was so fantastic that just made you forget you were acting. Um, you know, those kinds of experiences were so amazing as an artist. I remember one specific Experience in a play in Seattle, um, uh, Shadowlands, um, that I did, and uh, I remember that the character, you know, he had a limp, he was older, and um, and you know, it said in the stage drink directions that he drank black coffee. Well, the production actually made hot black coffee, and so I hate I hate black coffee, I hate it, and uh, and I would be on stage, and I remember falling in love with black coffee. Like I was like really enjoying the taste of it and I couldn't believe it. And I was like, wow, I must like black coffee now. And I left uh, like after that experience, you know, in rehearsal, I left and went out and had black coffee and I was like, this is the most disgusting thing. (laughs) And I realized that, you know, not that I was, you know, a different person, but I was so involved in the character. And when you have really good writing and wonderful production that you really, I, I the coffee had become a part of who that character was. Mm. And it wasn't meant for me to like it outside of that experience. Um, I always thought, think that that was really one of the most amazing, um, things that ever happened to me on stage. Like I really, I had realized that it was about the work, you know, um, And probably up until then I was really about, you know, Hey, look at me. I'm on stage. Look at me. Yay. And, um, there it was like, wow, like I am so blessed to be able to like go through this process and speak the words and, you know, um, hopefully entertain people and make them think and all that sort of good stuff. But I really loved acting. Um, and, um, you know, And when I was at the Flea, it was even more, I loved being there. Um, I loved the experience. I loved the team of actors that we got to work with. It was just phenomenal. And I felt like, wow, this is really like, I must be okay. I must be okay at this because like, Everybody around me was so good, right? I mean, I'm sure you had that experience. That
0: is exactly the ex- experience I had. I I booked the Flea um, show right after I left my day job at Builder and it was it was this mm. single most, I would say, identifying moment for me as an actor to know that I could do that that in New York City. Because what the, what people don't know is that like a thousand people audition for this company every year. Oh, thousands. Yeah, and we we were we were what maybe 20 that got picked. Yeah. And it was, it was like, okay, this is something I can do. Absolutely. Yeah. And we got to, and we got to work with Danny Burstein and Sigourney Weaver and John Lithgow, because that was right when Mrs. Farnsworth was going up down there. So we just lucked out. I think we got the best experience of like anybody who's, it was,
1: it was amazing. It was amazing. And getting to work on that production was really fun. And it was, you know, I still actually have a relationship with The actors i was on uh i was i was uh in the company with Um, i mean you and uh sarah player and uh oh my gosh there's uh, uh, what sigourney danny um sarah is a really wonderful friend of mine like i have it was such a really truly unique experience and it was because it was about the work it was about the work it was about you know, you got to like, you got to. There's nothing more exciting than being um, be, given material that really you can like sink your teeth into, and you know, and it's not a piece of crap. And and yeah. <laughs> you know, down there, it, it was really good stuff. Young writers, young actors, young directors, um, and you know, stuff, all headed by stuff. Jim.
0: Yeah, and I yeah, really, really crazy. I like that they they made us work down there, too. I actually, I know some actors kind of whine about that, and there's especially, like, some backlash yeah. against the flea um, uh, that you may see sometimes in the press or in um, yeah. different social media places. Yep. But I loved that part of it, and I felt like that really bonded us in a way that we wouldn't have I agree. experienced if we hadn't done that stuff. You know,
1: and, and I agree, and it was it was really... like <laughs> no people really bitched about that, you know? They were like... <laughs>
0: this is wrong.
1: What do you mean? I have be clean. And it was like, truth be told, it, it bonded us and it made yeah. me care about the space I was performing in. It made me, it bought me into the space. I, it wasn't just me going to perform. I was, I had a vested interest in it. I was, you know, creating programs. I was cleaning the bathroom. I was, I mean, even though we didn't really clean the bathroom, but you know, we made sure that it had, um, you know, paper towels. We made sure that things were, that, that it looked good, that we were, we were, it wasn't just us performing. This was our theater as well. Um, and that meant something. And I really liked that part of it. And it also allowed me to see how a theater was run.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And a lot of actors don't get to see that because they just come in and they leave and they come in and, you know, and really that's our job. Our job is to, you know, Create, rehearse, perform. But when you get to see everyone's job, you really get to appreciate how it all works and how it's so collaborative. It's so, so collaborative.
0: Yeah, that's and one of the reasons I started I've, my old podcast, the Acting Podcast, because so many actors don't know what mm. everybody else does on a set or in a theater. And I was like, yeah. you guys need. If you worked at a bank, you would understand the other roles of the people in the bank. You at least a rudimentary understanding of what they do. So that's why yeah. we interviewed all kinds of like at every like you know piece of the puzzle is a part of that you know overall project. I thought that was really important for actors to,
1: to yeah know. yeah. It was a so, phenomenal experience. And, and, you know, getting to work with people like Liz Suedas, who I adored and loved, mm-hmm. and unfortunately, who just recently passed away. Um, and I, um, I, I really loved that experience.
0: Yes, absolutely. So I think that acting is one of the most um, selfish um, professions. And I think mm-hmm. nursing is one of the most selfless professions. How did you talk about your transition out of acting and into nursing?
1: Acting is really interesting because just like you think it's really all about you. Uh, because, you know, what's the I remember years ago, my friend saying, oh, you know, acting bullshit, bullshit, my line, bullshit, bullshit, my line. <laughs> and um And I was like, yes, I know all about that. Uh, But the truth (laughs) is, is that when you really start to get into the craft of it and understand the art of it um, and, and have an experience like you do at the flea, you really see that um, it isn't about you. It's about everyone that makes this happen, that wants to allow this experience to um, happen and, 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 you know, entertain people, but really, truly, at the end of the day, you want you want people to think. And and um, so it's collaborative in the end. If you are really, truly an artist and, and, and you keep going, you, you realize how important it is to be um, a, uh, a spoke in the in the big wheel. You know, um, and that just makes you a better performer and a better actor when you can appreciate. Now, nursing, interestingly enough, and I, you know, you, you would think they're sort of diametrically opposed, but the truth is is that everything I did as an actor led me to nursing, and um, you know, uh, learning how to listen, learning how to respond, or not to respond. Learning how to trust my instinct; um, those are all things I learned as an actor that I use as a nurse every single day. Um, and um, you know what happened was that I, uh, my husband and I, bought a house in um, or a condo in New Jersey, and um, I had just had this amazing experience. I'd worked out in Washington State doing um, cymbaline, and we actually did it. Um, I had a manager here in New York who really did not want me to do it. And because, you know, it wasn't enough money. Right. And so, um, it was this amazing experience. And we got to go take this production into, um, prisons. And we, I was so moved by it. Um, and we would do these, it was a great experience and we would do these workshops afterwards. And I never felt so, uh, I've n- never seen people come to the plate with so much to give and we're so willing to show you, um, you know, uh, and these, these uh, prisoners were really, really open and uh, in these workshops. And I was, so oh, I was like, wow, this is amazing. And you could see like, you know, they talked about, this was the third year at Ed RAN or fourth year maybe and they said, "Oh, we look forward every year to this coming, and we we look forward to these workshops because the the um, company had also done writing workshops with them as well." And um, I just I I was so moved by it. I came back to New York and I was like, "I want to do this. I want to create this experience. I want to, you know, I know actors who would love to do this because mm-hmm. um, actors, you know, yeah, we're you can be really into yourself, but at the end of the day, actors love." To help people, they love it they they lo- give them an opportunity, and I'll tell you about one, but i uh, give them an opportunity. they will give, 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 and that's the truth um, so um, i uh, I came back and i I started looking into it, and I started like, "How can I do this and blah 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 and i it took me like six months, and it just could not get off the ground. <clears throat> it was so much money. And, uh, I, you know, it was hard to, to, um, to just get it going. And I got really pissed and frustrated <laughs> and I thought, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of just exhausted. And, um, but the experience in and of itself was one that stuck with me, which was, I, I loved being in a place where I could care and give. Um, and so I started thinking, well, I don't know if I want to act anymore. Which was a really weird position for me to be in because you know after spending so many years I was like oh I felt like I had to divorce it Mm -hmm. you know and I was like I'm not sure I want to do this anymore This is a really strange position to be in Um, and you know I started being sent out on auditions by my manager for like really things I really they were mildly humiliating and um, I just was like you know I I don't want to do this anymore (laughs) I, I just don't. So it was like, what am I going to do? How am I going to figure this out? So I started meditating. And um, I, you know, over the course of a good year, and I was like, what, you know, what am I going to do? I kept getting the same answer, like, um, you need, uh, you need to be, uh, you need to be in a position where you're caring. And I was like, what? I don't get, what does that mean? You know, uh, you need to give. And I was like, what does that mean? I was like, a lawyer. I should be a lawyer. It all comes <laughs> back to a lawyer. And um, then finally, one day, I was in the shower and it just hit me. Remember that time when you were 13 years old and you wanted to be a nurse and you told your mom and she said no? And I was like, a nurse? Wow. And so I made a couple phone calls to uh, my family members, cousins who were nurses, and they were both like, do it. <laughs> Like, but go volunteer. So I volunteered at a hospice and I had an amazing experience and I saw what angels the hospice nurses were and saw how amazing the doctors were. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to give this a shot. So that's when I I left and I said, okay, you know, I'm going to take some, I'm going to take some classes. And I was looking at what were called accelerated BSN programs, accelerated bachelor of science in nurse programs. It's basically doing a four-year nursing program in 15 to 18 months, or otherwise known as, why do you hate yourself so much? <laughs> um, and um, I, I looked at a particular, I looked at two programs. Um, I live in Jersey City. So I looked at two programs that were in New Jersey. And um, interestingly enough, I applied to, to just one. Um, and um, I got rejected. Um, and I was really upset cause I had a f- I had 4.0 and all my prerequisites, but I was upset because what happened was right. I was almost finishing my prerequisites and my mom got very, very sick. Um, mm-hmm. uh, my mom, it was like in stellar health. Um, she's 79 years old and played tennis three times a week and, you know, lifted big bags of mulch over her shoulder, mm-hmm. you know, um, wasn't a smoker, didn't really drink, really took care of herself. Um, got really sick. And I um, uh, had to go into the hospital with her and, you know, she ended up getting diagnosed with ovarian cancer. Um, and that was May, uh, April 7th. And she died May 4th after the surgery and she didn't make it. And it was, it was horrible because here I am and I have a kind of a little tiny bit of knowledge from the prerequisites, No clinical experience on the floor to match that but I kind of understand what's happening to her body, you know? And, um, and it was, it was devastating. So I had to take a a placement test in the middle of my mom's sickness. And, uh, you know, I, 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 I bombed it because I was, all I was thinking about was my sick mother. (laughs) And, um, so, you know, for that particular school, that placement test was important. And so that's why I got rejected, but, you know, all things, again, the universe always takes care of you. So, um, you know, the other school that I ended up going to was University of Medicine and Dentistry in New Jersey, or UMDNJ, which is now Rutgers. Um, And um, I had uh, an amazing experience, really an amazing experience. And um, I busted butt and studied my ass off. Uh, Nursing school is the hardest thing I have ever done in my life to this day. Hardest, hardest thing. It was so intense. Um constant testing and um, you know, my anxiety just shot through the roof. Um and I gained a lot of weight when I was there. My husband was really supportive and he was like, go, go, go. You know, I, I really believe in you. And so again, having that really was helpful. Um and I don't have children, also really helpful. So that that's, you know, Although many of my colleagues in school did, um, who were, you know, people, most of the people in that program were in their, um, there were definitely a number in their 20s, but there was quite a number that were mid-30s and doing a career change like myself. I was the second oldest person in the class. And, you know, there's nothing like coming into nursing as an older person. You know, um, you have, you have life experience. And so, you know, you know what it's like to have life throw curveballs at you. You know what it's like to um, be knocked on your ass by really, really shitty news. And, um, and you know, having, have, having had that experience, you're able to offer something to people more than just like, you know, tasks are important. Knowing how to put an IV in somebody is important. Knowing how to prime IV tubing is important. The patient doesn't care if you know how to do those things. They do recognize whether or not you care. And that's important because if you care, you'll make decisions based around that and they'll trust you.
0: My understanding is when you're a nurse, you get set like with a certain number of hours per week, you know what you're going to be making money, money-wise. Was that a great relief to you after coming out of so many years of the uncertain up and down roller coaster life of an actor?
1: Well, you know what was more exciting to me? Being in the same place all the time. I know that sounds ridiculous. You yeah, know, I, because I was so used to constantly go from A to Z and um, knowing I was going to be in the same spot. um, uh, regularly was, was exciting and, and having these, and the, the ADD of it was I was going to get all these different experiences with the patient. So, but knowing I was going to be in the same place, be the same people, develop and build relationships that seemed kind of exciting to me. I'd never had that experience. I'd never had a regular job. You know, um, I'd never had, if I did have a 40 hour a week job, it never really lasted. (laughs) Um, you know, or it was temporary until I got to the, you know, my next acting job, but you know, I was an actor. So, you know, um, and that's generally the life of an actor, you know, the other part of it is, let me tell you something. Sometimes as an actor, you think to yourself, you know, um, you really do make a difference in people's lives because, you know, I've had patients tell me, um, I had to get a a double mastectomy from uh, having breast cancer and I was really depressed and, um, I was feeling really sorry for myself. And I went to see this show and, um, for two hours, it was the most amazing experience. And I forgot that I had cancer. And I thought, you know, I, actors need to hear that they need to hear that that you know what might seem quote unquote, quote unquote selfish to you is really what you're offering people two hours away from the stress of their lives you know you're offering if it's a really especially a production you love and you enjoy and the writing is great you really can offer and then not just a cancer patient but people who are stressed out um, in their jobs. To, that's why people love the movies right like go and they forget about everything you know um and it's a noble profession um it really makes a difference in people's lives on a daily basis honestly mm-hmm. um yeah, I mean it's really incredible
0: Have you ever ex- experienced any sexism as an as a nurse
1: yes, um I think more of the sexism well, you know I joke around about it mm-hmm. um and the sexism is more related to, uh, I, uh, like, they think I'm a doctor most of the time. So, you know, are you, oh, you're a doctor? You're a doctor? Oh, you're a doctor. I was like, no, I'm a nurse, I'm a nurse. I'm your nurse. Um, uh, the sexism is not so much, um, you know, makes me feel bad kind of thing. Right. It's more like what I see the difference between how males and females are treated. Sure. Um, a lot of patients will treat you differently. They will treat you differently. And, um, I love my female colleagues and I go through this, but women can be quite mean to each other, mm-hmm. you know, and, uh, say pretty nasty things to each other, that they wouldn't necessarily say to men sure. and, um, You know, so what I see is the difference between how men and women are treated, and by that I mean that men tend to be treated better um, or uh, less aggressively. Um, So that's where I see the sexism, and we joke around about it, like, "Oh, you know, you just want me to lift the heavy patients," or,
0: "Yes." So, talk about the physical experience of being a nurse is it hard on your as, as hard on your body as I imagine that it is and how long do you think yeah you can
1: do it? <laughs> yes. well you know people do it for years and years and you know um yeah it's hard I've already hurt my back um and uh because you know I didn't lift correctly um you know you're coming in people people are really sick Darby they're really really sick and you know when I graduated nursing school I was I had gained almost a hundred pounds, not just with the nursing school, but with the stress of my mother's cancer and her passing and, you know, uh, the stress of trying to figure out what direction I wanted to go in my life. All of that turned into like a really big food addiction. So, mm-hmm. you know, by the time I graduated n- nursing school, I was obese, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so, and, and I did that because I understand, you know, what it's like to, uh, to, to be sick. Um, and in that way, you know, um, and what happens is when you gain weight, you, there's a lot of stuff that comes with it, high blood pressure, you know, you can potentially have diabetes, you bring on cardiac issues. So, um, you know, fitness is something that, um, is important and we don't really talk enough about in nursing fitness and, I mean, we talk a lot about good eating, but, you know, you see so many donuts on the unit. It's not even funny. It is hard on your body. You know, you have to lift these really heavy patients who are really sick, um, um, who can't move, um, or you're lifting heavy patients who are unconscious and they're dead weight. Um, And, you know, one thing out of line and you can twist and turn and you're down, you know, Um, and there goes your job. I think you, you just never know where life is going to take you. Um, and, you know, whenever I've decided that I was going to do something, like that's where I'm going to see myself in five years or 10 years, I always screw that up. <laughs> never, Whenever I take the driver's seat, I screw it up. Um, you know, I'm much better if I have goals and I say, okay, this is where I want to, I think I see myself here and I have this goal. So let me get there, but let me stay open to the fact that, you know, it's like being in a canoe, you know, um, I might be able to do the work and kind of steer the direction, but ultimately I'm, uh, you know, I am, it's not up to me. It's up to the, you know, the calmness of water, the, where the water takes me. And, you know, I may pull over to the side every once in a while to rest, you know, there's so much that can happen. Um and um you know life will will just when you think you know will turn around and slap you in the face to let you
0: so you were just saying that um rather than kind of coming up with steps or kind of trying to muscle your way to your goals, you find it better to set an intention and visualize yeah. it and let it right. let it allow it come to pass. do you believe in god
1: wow, wow
0: <laughs> <laughs> um I
1: Yes. I, what I believe in is that there's something greater at play. And if God is the word that people feel comfortable with, Mm -hmm. I'm okay with believing in that. But I'm also, you know, I think, you know, I think it's just far too grand, you know, because God sounds very Judeo-Christian to me and there's no other way for it to sound. And when I think of Judaism Christian, I think of a big guy in a yellow and blue silk robe with a crown on his head, sitting in a big chair with a scepter and, you know, and then a big T on his front for toxic. So, yes, I know that's sort of a, yes, I do. Uh, But um, I'm very open to what the interpretation is.
0: Yeah, you were pretty public about leaving the Catholic Church. At that yes. point, I'm, I'm, I think I remember that. Do you want to talk about that at Yes. All? Yes? Okay. Yeah.
1: Um, <laughs> I mean, um, I grew up Catholic, um, Irish Catholic, in a big Irish Catholic family. I went to Catholic school, um, you know, um, during the AIDS crisis. Hmm. I came out during the AIDS crisis. And I got, you know, uh, my experience with Catholicism was, you know, and I remember distinctly in ninth grade religion class being told, you know, it's not that we believe homosexualities homosexuals are sinful we believe the act of homosexuality is sinful and that didn't make any sense to me and i i just remember thinking you know i was closeted i was in ninth grade i would come out in the next uh the early part of 11th grade um i came out um and i remember thinking that doesn't make sense like so it's it's i'm okay I, i'm gay and i know i'm gay but if i if i have sex with another man that's wrong i don't get it you know, like, and they would always say, well, it's because you can't get married. <laughs> mm-hmm. So now, you know, now they don't say that anymore because we can. But, um, I had, I was very bitter towards Catholicism, um, for, you know, up until probably, you know, my early thirties. Yeah, um, I'm I'm and... Catholic and
0: I'm bitter. So, uh, you know,
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, um, you know, they're hypocritical, but, um, the, the, I was very angry. I had a very, you know, my experience really led it. And, um, you know, um, I, what I believe now is that the intention of Catholicism is, is good. Um, you know, they're there to promote the idea of connection and life. And anything that sort of goes, ass- uh, ass- uh, 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 that assuages away from that is not a good thing. Um, and, you know, that's why they're consistent with their teaching, you know, they're against abortion because for them, that means, you know, it's against life. And, you know, obviously I have a different experience and feeling about that, but then, you know, they're also consistent to death, you know, that's why they're against euthanasia. So, um, you know, that message is consistent, whether you like it or not, that's how they teach. And, um, um, and I this is the way I feel about it now I'm, I' I will always stand up to them when they teach something that's wrong um, anti-gay anti-trans anti bisexual I will always stand up um, but um, I that experience as a Catholic has taught me a lot um, and um, it Although I don't believe in the God that they taught me, mm-hmm. um, it opened me up to a sense of spirituality and a sense of connection, um, and um, so I'm grateful to it. But I also believe they have a lot of growing up to do, and um, you know they, you know that's why if you walk into a Catholic church on a Sunday, there's a lot of empty seats. And, um, you know, you can't be preaching the morality of sexuality when you have, you know, 6% of your priests who were pedophiles and you were hiding, you know. Um, and then you took how many years to come out publicly and say, we're sorry? So, you know, um, there, there's a lot of growing up to do. I believe in my heart that this current pope uh, is a kind and good man. Um, I think he's up against a lot of characters. Um, who are out to destroy him. Um, I think he's, um, although I, I do believe he, you know, he believes in what the Catholic church believes and I'm no dummy. Um, I also believe that, um, you know, he's going to help them move forward, you know, so that means somewhere by the end of this century, they'll be in the beginning of the 20th century, <laughs> <laughs> They're usually a couple hundred years behind. But they, oh, he did help. just make a statement recently about making women more uh, an integral part of the mass. So, you know, that's huge, huge, but also strategic. They don't have enough priests. So, you know, um, you know that's where it, where it comes from. So I'm grateful for my, I don't consider myself a Catholic. Um, I, I, you know, I did go back to it for a short time. Um, and I think that's what gave me a place where I actually forgave what I was taught um, and the negative um, and the the um, homophobia uh, that I was taught. Um, I was able to see a lot of wonderful and beautiful Catholics who didn't feel that way and who welcomed me and my husband with open arms. And it was really a wonderful experience. So um, it really allowed me to uh, let all of the stuff that I was carrying around with me go and you know really truly that only hurts you it doesn't hurt them sure. so um you know um i i wish them well <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's how i, I feel about them
0: as i'm talking to you i know and i know that your mom got to see you do a lot of really cool things while she was alive but i'm mm-hmm. really sad that she's not seeing you as a nurse do you think about that
1: yeah I do. (laughs) I do a lot. Um, I, you know, there's, um, oh my God, got me emotional. I wasn't expecting that. Um, I miss her a lot. Um, she was an integral part of my life. And so, and I was very, very close to her and she was very, very supportive. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, when she was sick in those few weeks, uh, she had gotten diagnosed and then two weeks later they had surgery. And during that whole, um, uh, recovery period, uh, which she recovered mildly and then kind of went down, uh, you know, I had some really great discussions with her. There was nothing left unsaid, but, um, you know, she was really proud that I was going back. She was the one who said, go take that test. Don't sit in here and look at oh. me, you know, go take that test. And, uh, she, she uh, she told me, you know, things like she wasn't scared to, to go and that if, if things went bad or if the cancer came back, she wanted to know that she was okay to go. And I cried and I told her I was scared and she said, I'm not, <laughs> which made me stop crying. And, you know, um, and you talk about a sense of spirituality, I mean, my mom was so... I think if the, if she gave us any any of her children anything, it was that a really strong sense of connection to her, to God, and um, and that you know a sense of meditation and prayer could 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 sedate you and make you feel like taking the stress away. It, it, it could take the stress away um, and make you see things that you might not see if you're tight and tense and angry. Um, But, uh, you know, it really, it really was an amazing experience watching her die. And I know that sounds weird, but, uh, you know, watching her die and make that choice to let go and all of us letting go of her um, and being in the room with her and watching her take her last breath and feeling completely at peace with it. Now, certainly I grieved tremendously after she passed, but in that moment and feeling connected to something in that room again, like there it is. Like, I don't know what it is, I can't put a finger on it, but there's something there, you know, there's something present, and it feels very strong and very intense and very loving. And then it goes like that. I didn't see a white light, I didn't see anything crazy, but man, did I feel it. And, um,
0: she right, right, you right know, when she passed, you felt something,
1: yeah. Right when she passed at that moment. Um, and, you know, I, I, there's a great book by a wonderful woman uh, called uh, Jill Bolte-Taylor. Are you familiar with her? mm I'm not. Yeah, she wrote this fantastic book. It's called My Stroke of Insight. Um, and she was a, a, a Harvard neuroanatomist. And um I believe she still is, and she was studying the brain and the effects of the brain I think um, her brother had schizophrenia, so you know her passion became very much into like you need to understand everything about the brain and the anatomy of the brain and how it works and because we it's one thing about our bodies we don't know a lot about the brain um, I think right now we understand that there's eight hormones that the brain creates but there's probably hundreds, if not thousands, um, that we don't know. Um, and um, but she's this. She she was 38 years old. She had this major hemorrhagic stroke, um, a bleed that was in her head. And she documents. Well, and she survived. And she documents what happened to her. This is extraordinary, you know. She documents like. Trying to make the phone call, but not understanding the numbers on the phone and how the phone worked. And then she knew what she wanted to say, but all that could come out was gibberish. Um, and she ends up being in the hospital, and she, um, you know, she has this major craniotomy surgery, and um, she can't speak. Um, and uh, you know, the doctors and the nurses would come in. And they would look at her and then they'd speak to anybody else in the room because she couldn't speak. And uh, they wouldn't say, like, this is what we're going to do or this is what's happening. They would just speak to, you know, her mother or her, her other family members that were in the room. She said, you know, I just wanted people to be responsible for the energy they brought into the room. And I was like, oh, my God, like, that makes so much sense to me. Like, I get that. So um, in response to your question, yeah, I feel her almost in every room I walk into. You know, certain times I'll get like little instincts like the hairs on the back of my head, which I always feel like is her, like saying, you know, take your time with this one or, or uh, you know, take a breath, um, you know, or I'll be in the experience and I'll feel like, you know, slow down. You really need to, there's something else here. You know, um, and, you know, also to leave all of my shit outside the door, you know, my my anxiety, my fear, my anger, my frustration, my all of that stuff needs to stay outside of the room. And then when I walk into the room, I try to be as clean as possible. And so I can, you know, trust whatever is going on in me. You know, I think uh, some people you know, women would call that, you know, their instinct, women's instinct, which they really downplay. That is so important. That those are the things that are giving you guidance. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, you know, so I try to be in that state when I walk into a room. Am I perfect? No. Do I sometimes walk in there when I'm really pissed off? Of course I do. But, you know, the goal is to be, uh, you know, to to try to be a clean slate. And again, it goes back to acting, right? I mean, that's where you're coming from when you create a character, when you are trying to find out what's going on, you know, listening, instinct, that kind of stuff. So, um, I feel her a lot. I feel her a lot, you know, but, um, I feel like her death was so instructive to me on so many levels. Um, um, and especially now, six years later, um, I feel like, uh, not just as a nurse and my experience with cancer and deaths and, um, which I've experienced many, 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 many times now as a nurse yeah. being in the room when someone has died. Um, and, uh, you get to see that experience over and over again and you get to experience what it's like for people when they have a good death mm-hmm. and a really crappy death and, uh, or when they're fighting it. Or when there's nobody uh, there for them, um, you know, uh, and they're alone and you are the only person that's with them. It's a powerful experience, you know, um, and, and I feel her there. I absolutely feel her there. Um, you know, I feel her guiding me, you know, um, helping me to either shut up or find the right words to speak.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask you if you had advice for family members when their loved one is in the hospital or dying in that moment. I feel like you've kind of answered that question a little bit, but is there anything else that you would, any other advice you would give to people who are there with their loved ones in the hospital? Like how they can be Hmm. um, a better advocate for their person or how they can be a, a better team member for you guys?
1: well the best advocate you can be is know what your family members want um you know i can't tell you the amount of times i have seen uh people and it it happens like life happens you walk out the door and things can happen that's why you have an emergency room you know that's why you have trauma centers um you know really shitty things can happen out there um and um you know uh So I would, it doesn't matter how old you are, you know, once you hit 18, you're an adult. So, uh, my first piece of advice would be, what do you want? What do you want? If something happens to you, what do you want? Do you want to be kept alive at any means necessary? Or do you want to, you know, if you're intubated and it looks like, you know, you're not, you have major brain issues and, you know, do you want to still be kept alive? People do. So, you know, they need to put that down on paper, and, um, you know, you can get advanced directives right off of the internet, a healthcare proxy or advanced directive right off the internet. You don't need it notarized. You can fill it out and just have you sign it and have a witness sign it, and that is legal. Um, So really, it's just communicating that with each other and letting your loved ones know what they want. People don't like talking about death. Well, I'll tell you, it is a far worse conversation to have when your family member is intubated and looks horrible and you have no idea what they want. That's a worse conversation to have. I can guarantee you. So, um, that would probably before you get into the hospital, have that conversation with people like, tell me what you want. You know, I really need to know my advance directive States that, you know, um, that, you know, if it looks like I'm not going to make it, I don't want to be kept alive and I don't want to be on a machine. And um, I want my husband to make that decision with my sister. Mm-hmm. That he ultimately has the decision, but he consults with my sister, who's my best friend. So, you know, um, um, uh, you know, and it's important to have that information out there and be known. Um, and the other thing from a perspective of a family member is, um, it's it's okay to question the nurse about everything. Mm-hmm. Ask questions. What is this machine for? What does this do? Tell me what this is. You know, and if the nurse is, and I'm just going to say this, and I love nurses, but I should be telling that to the family. Are you familiar with what's happening here? Can I answer any questions for you? You know, is there anything that you don't understand? Um, is there anything I can do for you? Um, has everything been, been, been clear to you? That's my job, you know, to make sure that everybody is on the same page, uh, the family members are, you know, in that room that are helping, uh, to, to care for their loved one. Um, you know, um, some nurses have some judgments about, you know, keeping people on live, uh, alive on machines for a long time. Um, you know, and they're like, Oh, you know, why didn't they just let them go and blah, 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 blah. And, And the truth is, is, you know, again, having had the experience of, uh, having to make the decision whether or not to remove someone I loved very much from life support, um, who was only on it for a few days, um, you know, uh, is a harrowing and horrible decision to have to make. No one can go into that lightly. And so I, you know, never judged anybody, um, you know, for keeping their loved one alive. There is a point when you're like looking like, like, do you seriously want me to keep doing this? Like I'm, this is terrible. But the truth is, is some people do. And, um, you know, it's my job to, to carry out the wishes of the patient. And if the patient can't make those wishes, to carry out their wishes of the next of kin. That's why it's also important to have an advanced directive because the decision can fall on the loved one and they don't know what the hell you want. Yeah.
0: What are your thoughts on assisted right? suicide?
1: Um, uh, well, I think, you know, certain states have it really uh, legislated. Well, I think Oregon has it really, you know, death with dignity laws. I think, you know, I, again, it's such a personal decision you know, um, it's so personal. It's like, you know, having a child or, uh, yeah, that is so personal. Um, yeah. you know, if you were presented with a severe and debilitating illness that is painful and, you know, I've been on the side, I, I treated those people. I see what we do, you know, um, and, um, you know, people want that. They want to be You know, they want to live. So they, they will do whatever it takes and they will accept whatever treatment that they need to have in order to, you know, create a greater chance for them to live. Um, uh, and I understand that people want that. Um, but I also understand that that's not for everybody and I don't blame them. Um, you know, um, other people come to different conclusions and decide that they, you know, you know what, I'm not going to do that. I I have this terminal pancreatic cancer and I'm going to decide that, you know, I'm I'm just going to not treat it, treat my pain, you know, go palliative, which is what palliative care is. You know, you're not necessarily um, going to die tomorrow, but eventually this will take your life. Um, you know, those are personal decisions and every person is different and I feel like we should be open to that. Yeah. Um, you know, my decision to how I treat uh, how I would treat myself or my loved one can be vastly different than yours. And that has to be respected. And re- and there's religious things behind it, too, that also have to be
0: respected. Yeah, I think a really good movie, if people haven't seen it, is How to Die in Oregon. If you're curious about this, mm. topic, I found that. Have you seen it?
1: I have. It's amazing.
0: It's amazing. Yeah, so if you're curious about Yeah, it, and there's
1: also a, a Showtime documentary. Um, on. It's a series that was um, about death. Um, and it was so amazing. Um, time of Death amazing series and it really it was like six different perspectives about how people were choosing to uh process their death, process their treatment of a debilitating disease. And it's so eye opening because it again, it's really personal. It's so personal. And um it really opens your eyes. Everybody's different, you know, everybody's different. Um, you know, uh, being a liberal, I'm open to like, you know, of course, I'm open to, you know, um, dignity with de- death, with dignity laws. And um, uh, but the truth is, you know, I might have a super religious Hasidic person um, or, or a super religious Christian, and they're not open to that. So, you know, um, I have to leave my opinion at the door and um, come in and carry out the wishes. And, you know, Honestly, I know some nurses have issues and problems with that. I am proud to do that. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm proud to do that. I'm disturbed by it sometimes, but I'm also proud because Mm -hmm. I get, you know, I get to be a nurse. Ultimately, my job is to be an advocate for the patient. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, I'm also going to be, I'm not going to bullshit people. And, you know, if I'm asked a question, I'm going to tell the truth. Um, and, um, I, you know, acting has given me the gift of communication. So, you know, um, I feel like I can talk to people and tell them the truth. Like, you know, this is what's happening. This is, you know, this is why we're doing this. You know, um, if, if you're keeping a patient alive for a long time and they're sedated or they're vented or they're intubated, they, you know, skin breakdown happens, you know, it's, a lot happens to a patient. It's not a pretty thing. So, um, you know, but again, um, it's my job to advocate for that patient. And if any of that is happening, I'm going to do my best to try and stop it and reverse it and, you know, do all that I need to do to take care of the patient.
0: Well, I think we should all be so lucky to end up in your room at the end of our lives. (laughs) I would love to
1: have you there. Uh, And I would love to put an IV in you and a Foley (laughs) catheter in your bladder.
0: I Please. have like 8,000 other questions for you, but I've kept you already over an hour. So I think you're just going to have to come back because I wanted to talk to you about your experiences with addiction. I wanted to talk to you about your like you've got oh, yeah. some, some heavy, heavy shit that we didn't even get to. But I'm going to wrap things up um, for right now. The, the last question that I'll ask you is what is your counsel for the many, 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 many people in the world who feel stuck in a career that they hate and they but they think it's too late mm-hmm. to to go after a new career? What do you say to those folks?
1: Mm. It, well, you know, um, I you know I was an actor, so I didn't know anything about science. So you know, um, I didn't think I had a brain for science. Um, I didn't think I had the time, the energy, any of that to go back to school. So um, you know, you're selling yourself short, and you really you know, there's a, you're on here, you're on the planet for a limited time. So you know. Uh, you know, and for those of us who believe that you come back again and again and again until you learn the lessons that you need to, um, you, you, in this particular life, you're on the planet for a short amount of time. So, um, you need to really, um, you need to just go for it. And that's the God's honest truth. You know, um, I feel like meditation was really opening and helped me so much, um, to figure it out. But at the end of the day, the final decision was mine. And really, I just needed to explore. So, you know, um, if, if you want to do something else and you don't know what it is, meditate. If you know what it is and you want to do it and you're scared, uh, you know, meditate <laughs> um, um, and take a leap. Take a leap of faith um, because that's really that's what you got to do. And there's risks associated with everything. But if fear is holding you back, um, you know, you got to look it at it in the face and say, okay, I'm scared, but I'm still going to give it a shot. I could be wrong, but I'm still going to give it a shot.
0: Well, I think that's a really good note to end on, Kevin. Thank you so much for uh, sharing your experiences with my audience. I love talking with you. You have to write a book. You've got so much more to say than, <laughs> than what we could cover in an hour. You need to write a book, baby. <laughs>
1: I'm, I'm thinking about it. I'm not joking. I don't yeah. know where the hell I'm gonna find the time. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, start your blog, and then you'll get a book deal, and then then someone will pay you to write, and you can do less nursing and more writing, or do book. woo. <laughs> but a blog is a really good idea. You know, lots of people get book deals from blogs. No reason not to to, to give it a shot. Oh, I
1: didn't even think about that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right.
0: All right, honey. Thank you so much. It was so great to talk time. to you. It was really awesome. I
1: love you so much to pieces. I love
0: you too. That's going to do it for another edition of How They Did It with me, Darby Worley. Don't forget, you can support the show by subscribing, rating, commenting in iTunes. That's the best way to help us out. How They Did It is produced in partnership with Pregame Magazine. Hear more from them at PregameMagazine.com. And our theme music is provided by Girls Like Bass. Hear more from them at GirlsLikeBass.com. We'll talk to you next time.